Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Eye Podcast. I'm Ruben Frank with Dave Zangaro, and we are uh, kind of in that uh, zone between free agency and the draft. Almost. It's getting nice out. That's how you know we're, we're almost at OTAs. The weather is peaking. It's beautiful out. Yeah, that means that means hay fever. It means high pollen count. I'm, I'm, it does. I'm counting down the days till fall. I know. It's funny because this is the time of year I balance wanting to be outside with wanting to be able to breathe. And uh, it's been a little bit of a delicate balance in the last week or so. It is. Uh, and it's also the anniversary of... Uh, and actually realized this during our last podcast. We were talking about Jeff Lurie, and I was like, hey, he bought the team 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard to believe. 25 years ago, uh, this weekend, uh, uh, the actual anniversary was Saturday, uh, April 6, 1994. 25 years since his PR company faxed out a release. <laughs> I'm sitting in the Burlington County Times newsroom in Willingboro, New Jersey, in the spring of 94. And it had been rumored that the team was up for sale, and uh, Jeff Lurie's name had been bandied about because he had made a run at the Patriots earlier, and he had actually been involved in preliminary talks about buying the 49ers. He wanted to buy a team, and we got this fax from his PR company that he had reached an agreement with Norman Brayman to buy the Eagles for the then unheard of amount of $195 million, (laughs) 25 years ago this past weekend. So... Uh, we thought we'd kind of talk about this quarter century of ownership from Jeff Lurie and what he's meant to the team, what he's meant to the franchise, what he's meant to the city. And, you know, it's the longest ownership of the Eagles by far. Yeah. Uh, you know, Leonard Toast owned the team for 15 years. This is 25 years. People and- who are my age, like – all I know is Jeff Lurie. Only. I, I don't You're remember. Lucky. You don't remember Norman Brady. Yeah, I, and that's obviously the. All right, the let's see. Reggie there. White, free agent. No, we're not interested in keeping <laughs> him. Seth Joyner, Clyde Simmons. No, we don't want him. Yeah. I mean, the guy. He, in a way, Norman Brayman came up around at a good time because. You think about the guy he bought the team from, Leonard Toast, had financial problems, uh, was actually really close to moving the Eagles to Arizona. Uh, but you, you think about the last two owners. One of them tried to move the team. The the next one gutted the roster of all its yeah. good players, and into that comes Jeffrey Lurie on his uh, on his you know fine white charger in '94, and really basically rescued the franchise. And uh, here we are, 25 years later, the franchise is now worth something like 2.75 billion dollars. Yeah, he's made his money back. He's made his money back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's also solidified the franchise. Uh, he's he's the best owner in Eagles history. And uh, I wrote a piece for NBC Sports Philadelphia uh, that ran over the weekend. That I, and I basically said, you know, he's maybe the most important figure in Eagles history because of the stability, yeah. uh, the success, the vision he brought to the franchise as the league. You know, you look at how the league has changed since he bought it in '94 to where it is now. And the Eagles have really been on the forefront of everything from hiring uh, to roster building to to finding coaches, uh, charity work, even off the field stuff. And it it all goes back to Jeffrey Lurie. It does. And, and, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed. It's hard for any player to be that because they don't last as long. Same with coaches. And, gee, I mean, this guy's been here now for a quarter of a century. And what he's done is, I mean, the numbers kind of speak for themselves about where the Eagles have been during his time, but I thought you nailed um, the angle you took on this because it, it. I think you told me you wrote it once without the angle, and it, it needed it needed something. But you're you're right. You're saying you didn't like my original version. <laughs> I, I didn't see the original version. Um, I'm assuming I like this one better because it, it's a good angle that. And, and this was kind of the narrative not that long ago with Jeff Laurie yeah. that he wasn't a Philly guy. You know, people respected what he did, but. All along, like he, he's from New England, he probably would have rather owned the Patriots, and um, it was it was really hard for him to shake that. But here we are, twenty five years later, and it's gone. That 
that's to me that's completely eliminated. He's not your prototypical Philly guy, but he's a Philly guy now. He is, and when when he bought the team, understandably people were skeptical. I mean, he was an LA filmmaker. He had no background in football. Yeah. He had never had any sort of job or position or connection to the NFL. Um, so I mean, he was a guy f- who had grown up in Boston. And lived in L.A. <laughs> I was yeah. like, you know, how, how could it be any worse if he showed up here wearing like a Mets hoodie or something? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think those – and it was understandable that people were, were skeptical at first uh, because, you know, we didn't know if he just wanted to buy the team as an investment for a few years and then move on. Uh, and But I think, you know, we've seen over time – and like you said, it's been a gradual process that we've seen just how committed he is – he he set roots here. He moved here. You know, Norman Brayman was never he, – he lived in Miami. Yeah. You know, he was an outsider. Uh, so it was – you understand the skepticism that people felt when, when Jeff Lurie bought the team because we didn't know. Uh, but the I, I think about two weeks after he bought the team, he hired Joe Banner, and that was probably the smartest thing he ever did because he had somebody to really – kind of handle all the administrative stuff, salary cap. Joe got a, you know ahead of the curve on the salary cap right from the get-go. And you know then he fired Rich Kotite and hired Ray Rhodes, who was coach of the year his first year. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and there's been some ups and downs, and he had to fire Ray a few years later. Uh, but then he, you know, he had the vision to hire Andy Reid, had him for 14 years, and had great success. I think vision is the most important word when you talk about Jeff Lurie because it's – you mentioned the vision to hire Andy Reid, um, the vision to hire Doug Peterson. Even Chip Kelly, that didn't work out, but it was forward thinking. It was it was something that he wanted to be different. He wanted to be ahead of the curve, and it kind of it also goes into his feeling about analytics. And he he always wants to be on the cutting edge. He always wants to try to be a step ahead of other teams. When you do that, there are going to be inevitable pitfalls. You're you're going to miss on some of those, but he sees the value in just trying to be ahead of other teams and it's impressive it's impressive to to see an owner like that who is involved in that sense but also gets out of the way when he realizes there are people who he hired who are smart enough to know areas that he doesn't yeah I think that's the biggest kind of evolution in Jeff Lurie over the last 25 years I think the first year or two he probably was a little too involved in personnel and kind of looking over his personnel guy's shoulders. But that 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 stopped really quick. I think he realized pretty early on that uh, he was in over his head when it came yeah. to that stuff. And and he, he stopped I get it, though. That. If I just bought a team for yeah. almost $200 million, I'd probably try to make sure I know what's going on, too. But, you know, before – I mean, whenever they make a huge move, if, if they're going to give somebody a, a huge signing bonus, he'll, he'll go in with the coaches and say and, – and talk to them about it. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he is hands-on from that standpoint. You know, he's not just going to green light everything. He wants to know yeah. what kind of player this is, what kind of person he is, sit down with him and, and talk to him. Uh, Out-of-the-box moves like, you know, trading for T.O., uh, signing Michael Vick, uh, promoting Howie Roseman – uh, over and over and yeah. over from an intern. I mean, the guy was an intern, uh, and now he's you know basically running the day-to-day operations of the franchise. Even drafting Carson Wentz, I mean, he was heavily involved in that. The thing people I don't think realize about Jeffrey Lurie is his background. Uh, he's a psychology background. As in college, he has a Ph.D. in social policy. So he, he's someone From Brandeis. From Brandeis University, yeah. Um, he's a guy who understands people and you know everyone joked and we always laugh about the emotional intelligence but that's why it's so important to him because he's he's studied these things he wants to get into a mindset of a person he wants to pick their brain and and he has the ability to do that that's why he was so involved when they drafted Carson Wentz that's why he was at that table Um, and I I think that he he gets overlooked for that aspect of it um, which is kind of unfair but when you look back at his history as the owner, you can see that influence the whole way. Yeah, you know, I think they have a great culture over at the Novacare Complex of hiring from within. You never hear anybody, and we're over there all the time, not as much as we used to be, uh, <laughs> but we're in that building every day. Have you ever heard an employee, like, disgruntled or ripping his ball? You, you know, it's you, you never hear that. It, it's it, it's a great culture over there. He, he 
I think they, they have a, a really good record of hiring and promoting from within and cultivating talent, whether it's on the football side or non-football side, you know, in, in PR and marketing and sales I, and all that stuff. It's a great place to work yeah. is what I've always heard from people. Uh, How and about that, that cafeteria? Yeah, and it's not just the, the football staff, and that goes a long way. It, it kind of shows you when everyone in that building got a Super Bowl ring. Um, <laughs> it, it's That's not a little thing. I mean, yeah. that's it, that's a big, expensive gesture, uh, but that's what they want to do over there. They don't want Troy the janitor. They want to feel as important as, you know, Coach X or Coach Y, and, and they do that on purpose, and it, it breeds a healthy environment for, for a football team, and, and it matters. And that's why um, when the team and the franchise got away from that in the Chip Kelly days, that's why he wanted so badly to get back to it. I think, I think two of the best moves Jeff ever made – was hiring Chip mm-hmm. and firing him after 47 games Yeah, uh, and before his third year even ended. That answer um, was always so fascinating to me. After he fired Chip, we, we obviously talked to Jeff and, and went back into, well, why'd you give him all this power? And it was basically, I wanted to, I basically wanted him to, to, to sink or swim. I wanted to see if he can do it. And if he can't, I wanted to move on. And that's bold. Yeah. I mean, it was a terrible decision. And like we said, there are going to be ups and downs when you're trying to be forward-thinking. Giving Chip Kelly GM power was a disaster. Probably the worst movie ever made in I, 25 years. It was a disaster, but he quickly rectified it. Yeah, he he had the he he wasn't worried about looking like an idiot. He, he never is. Yeah, he he made a mistake. He admitted it. He moved on. And in 25 years, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Let me let me run down a couple of the achievements or accomplishments. In the 25 years uh, that Jeff Lurie's on the team uh, now, it's 24 seasons, 25 years, uh, because he didn't really have full control until just before the 94 season, so I don't really count that. Um, he, he knew he was going to get rid of Kotai, even when they were 7-2. and two. I think he kind of yeah. he knew they were going to come back to earth at some point, <laughs> which they did. They didn't win another game. Uh, in the 24 full seasons he's owned the team, the Eagles have been in the playoffs 14 times, 14 out of 24 years, which is a pretty That's good record. Pretty good. Only four teams in the league have been in the playoffs more during that span, the Patriots, Colts, Packers, and Steelers, only one NFC team. Uh, during that same span, the Eagles have the fourth most playoff wins in the NFL, 15 uh, behind only the Patriots, Packers, and Steelers. The same, the same teams you're going to keep hearing. Uh, they have the fifth best record in the NFL since '95. Uh, second best among NFC teams behind the Packers. And this is this is really this is one one of my favorite Jeff Lurie stats. Who else does stats on owners? Come on, Dave. <laughs> it's tough. Who's doing owner stats? We got owner stats for you. The Eagles have had only seven losing seasons since he bought the team. And three of them were consecutive, 97, 98, 99, the end of the Ray period, beginning of the Andy period. Since then, just 05, 12, 15, and 16. And 12, 15, and 16 were either the first or last year of a, of a coach. Yeah. So, they, you know, so he's only had, um, since 98, only one year where they had a losing record and wasn't a head coach's first year or last year, which yeah. is incredible. It, it really is. Um, yeah, it's impressive that, gosh, the Browns would kill for this. 15 of the 23 playoff wins in franchise history been with him as, as the owner. And obviously the playoffs have expanded. Yeah. Uh, so if you own the team in the forties, you weren't winning wild card games, but still, <laughs> I mean, they, this is a franchise that had won eight playoff games when he bought the team. And it had been so long since they won a championship. I know it took him a long time to win one. Um, but we're talking 1960. He buys the team in 94. That's a long time. And I know they had to wait a long time under Jeff Lurie too, but they got close. Yeah. And you always felt like in those Andy years, they had a shot. Yeah. They always had a shot, um, which is something that a lot of teams can't say consistently. And he's uh, – all four head coaching hires have been a little out of the box. None yeah, of, you're right. None of them had ever been an NFL head coach. Uh, he's always been against the retreads. Two of them have, were never – coordinators and all four of them were coach of the year at some point which is which is a remarkable record uh and you know i think hiring and if, if he doesn't hire andy there's no doug peterson oh absolutely because he got to know doug peterson in 99 when he was here quarterback in the team he never hires him i mean he's not even on the radar 
And with that, so without without you mentioned the like the most important people in franchise history, yeah. Jeff's probably number one. Yeah. Andy's really close, and Andy doesn't obviously happen without Jeff Laurie. And Doug doesn't happen without Andy. Yeah, yeah. And Carson doesn't happen without Andy. And Jeff Nick Foles doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So none of this happens w- without without Jeff Laurie. And I think I think the biggest thing for me is that it, coming in as an outsider. He's always just wanted to win, and I, I don't think – I mean, he knew he was going to make money, and rich people make money. It's what they do. There's not a lot of poor owners. Mm-hmm. You don't want a poor owner. So people that rip the guy because he just wanted to make money, I mean, well, everybody wants to make money. What are you going to – you want an owner who doesn't want to make money? <laughs> uh, but he's always had the best interest of the – I mean, I've had private conversations with him where, you know, at, uh, up at Lehigh or on the sidelines of practice where he's like, you know, I just I just want to win. I just want to win for these people. And, he's, you know, and I think that's always been paramount. And everything he's done has been geared toward that. And you can't say that about every owner. And – you know when he when he bought the franchise. I mean, I can't. You didn't cover the team when when uh, they practiced the vet. Yeah, you're lucky. I mean, they pra- the vet was falling apart. It was disgusting. The offices were on the fourth floor. I mean, they were they were pitiful. They were they were like you wouldn't want you wouldn't want the smallest startup company in offices <laughs> like that. Uh, they were dilapidated. There was exposed wires everywhere. The 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 ceilings all leaked. There were buckets everywhere. Uh, the locker room was. Uh, you ever been in like Riverside High School's locker room? Sure. Yeah. That's it was worse than that. <laughs> the the weight room was a, a universal in a in a like in a closet next to two racquetball courts. That's not great. Uh, it, it, it was, I mean, the facilities were the worst. They used to practice at, on, on these, on this field over by the Schuylkill. Well, the uh, nice thing is it, you get pretty fast trying to outrun rats. Rats everywhere. John Harbaugh tells a story about his, um, I, I, I don't know if I ever told this story. John Harbaugh's first, he got hired in 98. Ray Rhodes actually hired him in 98, and he was staying at a hotel down by the airport uh, after he got the job. Uh, and he was coming back up the next day to like meet some people and have meetings, and he, he tells a story about like one in the morning he was so excited he couldn't sleep, and he decided he was going to just drive up here and try, <laughs> drive up yeah. to the stadium. So he drove up to the vet. He said he just walked in. <laughs> there was no security or anything there. I mean, it was the vet. There, there was nothing to secure. And <laughs> what are you going to take? Yeah, what are you going to steal, like, rabbit cats? So he just parked by the entrance. He walked in. He walked downstairs. Imagine that today. Yeah. He walked into the Eagles' offices, and he walked into his office. He didn't have keys or anything. He just walked in, and he was just sitting there kind of thinking about I mean, because this is a guy who had been a you know a career college coach, and he was so excited. He got his first NFL job, and he's sitting at his desk in, in the basement in the dungeon of the vet. And all of a sudden, he hears this rustling, and it's getting louder and louder. And he, he said he was scared, you know, out of his mind. He thought, like, you know, people were coming in. He, he didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden, a a, a dead cat comes through oh, the ceiling gosh. and lands on his desk. Oh, God. <laughs> and he's like, welcome to the NFL, yeah. John. Uh, and uh, but you know that's that's how bad it one was. One of the rats fought back and killed that cat. <laughs> so yeah. it so got too big. <laughs> that's I mean that that was what was going on. And to to you know to to move into the Novacare complex, I think it was in one and then the Link, which is you know to I think one of the night we've been in every stadium. I think it's one of the two or three really nice stadiums yeah. in the league. Um, and and you just see where they are as a franchise now compared to where they were in '94 and. Uh, this is a place where people want to play. It's a place where people want to work. It's a place where people want to be, and uh, it's all Jeff Lurie. Yeah. Norman Brayman wasn't. I mean, he wasn't building any stadium or or, or practice complex. It yeah. wasn't going to happen. And you touched on the the charity aspect of it. I know if the team's not winning, people don't want to hear about that stuff. But it, it it is important. It's important. I mean, that's kind of the part of him becoming a Philly guy is true. Caring about the community and. And kind of ingraining yourself that way, and he's done that uh, a bunch of different ways. And he—it's not just that he does it, but he supports uh, his employees, his players, when they try to do things for their own communities, for this community. Um, and, and it's been impressive. I—that I, I, stuff gets overlooked a lot because this is still a football team. The most important thing is putting W's up in the standings, but that stuff can't be overlooked either. And I know um, it was. I I think you you mentioned a few years ago when uh, when Jeffrey got divorced, you had to ask him about it, and that's a, a tough question to ask. But at the time, I mean, we've seen 
ownership groups dissolve right. because of the divorce. But I, I've been really impressed with um, how well these individuals have handled it, and it hasn't affected the team at all. No, no, it hasn't. You, you, you know, you see them on opposite ends of the sideline. Yeah, uh, Christina and Jeffrey, uh, but it, which is it's kind of an interesting dynamic. But uh, one last thing I just want to add about about Jeffrey Lurie is, I think an underrated part of his ownership has been the way he's reconnected the the franchise with its past. It's something that that Norman Brayman had no interest in doing. He didn't care about Tommy McDonald or Steve Van Buren. Chuck Bednarik, he, he didn't care about the 1948 championship team. Uh, Jeff Lurie made it a, a priority when he when he took over to, uh, and, and it took a while to kind of figure out how to do it. But when you go in the Headhouse Plaza now and you see all those displays, it's, cool. yeah. it's really incredible. And you know plaques for everybody in the Eagles Hall of Fame, which had had al- also become dormant. There was yeah. no Eagles Hall of Fame. And also having got like Harold Carmichael around, yeah. it, it means a lot. And honoring guys at halftime, whether it's Randy Logan or Mike Quick or, or David Akers, fans love that. This I mean, this is a franchise that's had the same name in the same city since 1933, and there's it's not a, a lot. It's of, a family thing in, in this yeah, city. It really is. So it does mean a lot when you know grandfather passes on the son to son to son, and and to have those guys that it kind of connects families is yeah, cool. You're right, and it, I mean, being an Eagles fan in this city is passed on from generation to generation, like a uh, like a family heirloom. And when you can go down to the link and walk around and see a plaque honoring Tommy McDonald, say, "Man, my grandfather loved him." It's it's such an important thing. It's such an important thing in the fabric of this city. Uh, fans love talking about those teams and those players in those days. And I mean, even in the Novacare complex, you walk around there's and there's lot, everywhere yeah. you look. There's, you know, there's there's something honoring the past, and uh, I, I just think that's a really important thing. And it, and it makes those guys feel, you know, like a part of something. Even uh, a few years ago, when they did the practices at Franklin Field, yeah, that was kind of cool. That was, yeah, I love that. I, I wasn't here for that. I was, I was during my uh, my away years. Sounds like I was in prison. I'm try- <laughs> I was in Texas. I'm trying to remember what I wrote about. Who's the quarterback that Tom Brady picked on it at OTAs? What year is this? Oh, man. Whatever year that practice was. I did a story on him. Probably at, 13? At Franklin Field. Nolan Carroll? No. Um, I don't know. Whatever. I'll think of it. Yeah. I'll think of it like at 3 in the morning. You're going to text you. me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call you. We'll do an emergency podcast. Oh, some breaking news here. What do you got? The Panthers signed Destiny Vio. Oh, it's a good move for them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guy was a starter for this team. Yeah. Briefly. Very briefly. Good luck with that, Ron Rivera. Yeah, good Ron, luck, Ron. Ron Rivera steals another one from the Eagles. <laughs> Blast uh, you, Ron. All right, listen, we got um, we got the draft coming up, and it, it occurred to Dave and me to – this would be a good time, and the draft's only just what, two and a half weeks away now. We're getting close. Uh, we thought this would be a good time to kind of real quickly just go through each position group on, on the Eagles, the current roster, and just kind of take a look at what their needs are uh, You know, going into the draft, going into the rest of the offseason. Uh, I think I, – I think because I think you could take the team they have right now and I think be pretty competitive. It's a pretty. There, there aren't many glaring holes. They filled a lot of their glaring holes in free agency. Now it's just about complementing the guys they have with the draft. Well, let's do that. Let's start at offense and uh, start with wide receiver. And I, you're sitting here, and 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 let's make the point that I think the position they're in, where they don't have any super glaring needs, they don't need a starting this or a starting that, affords them the flexibility to go into the draft and really go best available player within reason. Yeah, within reason, you're right. I think it's like I would classify it as best player available, but it's weighted. Yeah. You know, I, I think certain positions are weighted more than others. So receiver, when when you – Which is a possibility, receiver, for the I, first I round. agree. Yeah. Mainly because, I mean, Nelly's on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deshaun's 32. So uh, wide receiver's totally in the mix as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And they don't have any depth right now. I mean, you have your starting Hollis three. And Sean Gibson. Yeah, so you have your starting three, which is Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar. Then after that, Matt Collins, Shelton Gibson, maybe Braxton Miller is he's an intriguing guy for me. Um, he signed a future deal. He's back. Uh, he was a guy who Doug Peterson mentioned awfully early when asked about 
backup receivers down in Phoenix. So maybe he's a guy who can take a step, but none, that's, none of those guys are reasons not to draft a receiver. Braxton Miller is going to be – He's going to be that guy at training camp that gets wow's packed. everyone. He, he, well, no, he's going to get packed by the media every day. He's yeah. going to have a like because he's a great talker. Huh. He's a great story. Yeah. This guy was a top five Heisman, yeah, you know, finalist. He was a as great a quarterback. Player. Yeah, at Ohio State. Uh, so I do think that it's totally in the mix. But I also think if they don't go, if they don't take a receiver in the first two rounds, they, they can go into the season with what they have. They could, but you're one injury away from starting Matt Collins. Well, I, I, and I don't know what he is. They could also draft one past the second round. Yeah, no, they could. I, I think they need to draft one at, at some point. Do you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Shelton Gibson. Couldn't they? They were in desperate need of a deep threat last year, and Shelton Gibson couldn't get on the field. He caught a 48 yard touchdown mm-hmm. or 48 yard pass. I'm not sure it was a touchdown. I guess it was. Yeah, it was. And then like never got on the field again. Tells you something about probably his practice habits, I guess. I don't know. Just wasn't doing it in practice. Uh, tight end, I mean, they're in as, as good shape as anybody. Uh, I mean, Ertz, Goddard, they, they re-signed Richard Rodgers. I think, I think Perk's still around. Perkins uh, is still around. Even Will Ty, who has played in the league. Yeah, he caught a bunch of passes yeah. one year for the Giants. So they have, they have tremendous depth there. Uh, I don't think they're going to go into this thing looking for a tight end. I don't think so. Yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if they did. And it's I'll tell you what people, you know, people like you know, can they trade Goddard? Can they do this? Can they do that? The the way the NFL is, and I don't want to get too deep into twelve personnel, but I mean, copyright infringement. It's such a it's such a you know it's such a great position to be in to have two tight ends that can catch the ball and make plays, and it's such a matchup problem when you have those outside guys, Nelly in the slot, and and then two tight ends. Yeah, why trade away weapons? Why trade away weapons? Yeah. You got to love the position there in a the tight end. Uh, let's look at the O line. How big? How big a priority? And they, you know, they have bodies. Brandon Brooks' health is kind of part of the issue here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how big a priority is it for you? And and we're kind of just looking at those first three picks. Yeah, it's a pretty damn big one. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if tackle is as big as a priority as people want it to be. Um, you got to remember, this is a team last year that they that you could have made a case that they needed depth there last year, but they didn't draft one until the sixth round. Uh, and Matt Pryor and then Jordan Mailata. I guess it also depends on their valuation of Jordan Mailata right now. That's a big part of it. Um, if they think that he's going to be the tackle of the future, then maybe you don't use a first-round pick on one. Um, and it's hard to know because we haven't even seen Jordan Mailata since training camp. Right. At least they got to see him in practice a little bit to have an idea of how far he's come. Uh, but I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility that he's starting in 2020. Oh, Heck, I- he might need to start this year if Jason Peters can't stay healthy. Uh, I'm going to go as far as saying I'll be surprised if Jordan Mailata is not your starting left tackle in 2020. Okay, because uh, I, I, they, I've heard too many people who know, you know, analysts who are former offensive linemen who know about this stuff more than me, that love this kid. Yeah, and the power and size and speed and athleticism he brings. I mean, it's it's just a matter of learning how to play. Yeah, and I don't think there's anyone better to teach him than Jeff Stoutland. No, Stout's the guy, and. Uh, so, I, I mean, whether but I, he's ready to be active and be a backup, be the the, the third guy. He hasn't played. Hasn't played. Not I mean, this is a guy that, you know, until until training camp had never blocked anybody yeah. at full speed. And that was that was in August. And it's only April, so he's Then so, he played in the game, and he looked really good. He did. Yeah. Most of the time. Most of the time. There were I mean, it's like, on the radar. It's like but. asking somebody who's – Who's played the piano for twelve months to to go to the Kimmel Center and play <laughs> Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto in E flat minor? It's tough, huh? I could do it. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's, you... <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah, but he he what he's done so far is already it's, it's incredible how far he's come. Yeah, um, so I, I, that wouldn't shock me at all. I think they they're in desperate need. I would say of depth on the interior. Desperate is is a good word for it because of Brandon Brooks' injury. Um, the only backup interior lineman they have of note is Matt Pryor, who was a six-round pick last year, who had a, a really fast start to training camp. But once they started playing the games, he came back to earth a little bit. Uh, he didn't play in, as a rookie. Um, so I, I think I, I really wouldn't be shocked to see them use one of their first three picks on an interior lineman, um, possibly someone with some versatility. Uh, but they, they need help there, and, and that's why I was dead set against them 
letting uh, Steph Wisniewski walk. Um, at his price, he was going to make 3.7 against the cap this year. That was worth it to Yeah, me. I think the point you made uh, recently, though, is, is the reason he's not here. He wasn't going to be happy here, and they yeah. don't want anybody here who's going to be disgruntled. I, I get it. I think that's why he's not I, here. I, I don't I necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I might have gambled on that. I think he was a troublemaker. No, no, definitely not. No, he would go in and I think they'd be well. more worried about Michael Bennett than Steph Wisniewski from that point of view. I think they're going to sign uh, an inside guy. I, I think they have to. Because even if you draft a guy, that's putting a lot. I mean, it is unless you draft someone in the you draft someone in the first round, it's conceivable to plug them in and play. Yeah, at, at guard. At guard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, can may a lot of play guard. You're gonna ask him to play another position. <laughs> Poor might. guy hasn't learned the first one While yet. We're at it. Uh, running back. Uh, I don't think Jordan Howard has changed their their plans at all. I don't think so. I mean. Maybe there's less of a need there, but I don't think they were ever going to draft running back for need right. to begin with. Um, I, I I do think they're going to draft one. I don't know when it's going to be. I still wouldn't be surprised to see a second rounder or the fourth round. No, nor I. I think I'm on the record as saying they're going to draft one in the third round. I just haven't figured out how he's okay. how he's going to get that three, but I think he will. Okay. I think they're going to draft a, a running back. But um, I, I think one thing that Jordan Howard does is it takes a little of the urgency away of saying, well, we have to come out of here. And that's when you reach. You know, when you go exactly. to the draft saying we yeah. have to we have to get a running back. And then you reach for a guy because you have to you put yourself in that position. So they've eliminated that. So looking at the depth chart now, you have Jordan Howard, Corey Clement, Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, Boston Scott, and Donnell Pumphrey. <laughs> I got a Donnell Pumphrey question um, for my mailbag last week. Really? Which I was surprised was it about. From Donnell? It was not from Donnell. Um, it was percent chance that he's on the team. Okay. In uh, in 2019, and I said it's a no, it's non-zero. No. It's above zero. I, I think I put it at six percent. See, I would have gone three. Okay. I would have gone three percent. I I I mean, there's a very there's a chance. There's a very very small chance. They already cut him once. They did, but you have to remember, he was for a very short time at the beginning of the last training camp. He was in that mix for that last spot. Wendell stayed healthy. He got hurt. Yeah. Um, I I don't think he's going to make the team, but yeah. I don't think it's. I think it's not zero. Well, I think six. I think six percent is way. I think six percent is way optimistic. I think three percent might be way optimistic. Oh. But you know he's got with what he did in college, and just his speed, he's going to be a guy that kind of bounces around on practice squads and the fringes of of rosters. I think he'll be around the league for a few years. You think so? Yeah. I okay. think people are going to look at him and think, you know, he's we can we can do something with him. Yeah, and even Boston Scott's interesting because if Sproles isn't back, you might want to have a smaller a former Saint running back. A former Saint, you have to keep your quotient of one former Saint running back at all times. And since uh, Mark Ingram did work out, yes, yeah. we got Boston Scott, quarterback. You think uh, quarterback in the first round? Yeah, probably QB one. Uh, at twenty five, what do you think? Maybe get no, nah, maybe get Sudfeld's backup. <laughs> yeah, uh, think they'll draft one in the late round. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's possible. I think even if they don't draft one, they'll they'll get a a day one for free agent, a body. Yeah, yeah, and and Doug's like Andy. Doug likes ha- he 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 loves having a young quarterback. They have see they talk so much about it, and then they couldn't do it because they had Nick Foles, and then they got Sudfeld, and Sudfeld kind of became that young developmental player they didn't draft him but he became that we'll bring him up in our system type player um Sudfeld's interesting I mean he's going into his fourth year mm-hmm. like, he's not a kid no you're talking about developing young quarterback uh I, st- I still think he'll be two I do too at yeah. this point uh, any any veteran free agent that would have taken the job from him is gone yeah Agreed. so I think he'll be the two and they're paying him a little bit this year Paying him three million dollars. Yeah, you don't pay a guy three million dollars to be the third stringer. No, you don't unless you draft him in the first round. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you guys a little bit about uh, th- this. Is for the listeners to the Eagle Eye Podcast who live outside the Philadelphia metropolitan uh, quadruplex, the outside what's known as the Delaware Valley, even though there is no valley. 
Uh, somebody's got to explain that to me. Uh, you can see all our non-game programming, and that includes all our pregame shows, our postgame shows, quick slants, uh, f- all the all the Phillies pre and post, Sixers pre and post, Flyers. They're done, uh, but Eagles coming up. Their pre and post game shows uh, with something called NBC Sports Gold Philly Pass, and all you got to do to find out all the info about it and sign up is go to NBCSports.com/PhillyPass. And you get five bucks off the annual price by using the promo code Eagle Eye uh, to sign up for that, and it's a great deal. And uh, you know we have a we have a loyal podcast listener named Carl Stevenson who's mm-hmm. uh, very active on Twitter, and I got to give him a shout out because uh, he has not missed one of our podcasts. Oh, good for him! And uh, we certainly appreciate that kind of support. And he signed up for the uh, for the Gold Pass the first day. Cool. It was announced, and he was just saying how much it's helped him kind of stay in tune with the Philly teams, even, you know, cool. even living in, I think he lives in Arizona. Very nice. I have to give a, uh, if we're doing shout-outs, i got to give a We don't sh- do shout-outs on this sh- show. I have to give a no, hello. No shout-out. Uh, it's a hello. It's not a shout-out. Oh, okay. Hello to podcast listener Bob. I uh-huh. met him uh, yesterday. I was at the, the horse track um, for a nice day. Nice Did outing. No, no, I was up. Aqueduct. At, uh, I was at uh, Parks. Oh, okay. In, uh, in ben-, ben Salem? Is that Ben Salem? It is Ben Salem Township. Yeah. Uh, we were out there. Just a nice day out. And he recognized me and told me, told me he listens to the pod. So nice to meet you. If you're ever around, say hi to us. We like hearing you. Listen. Only if, you, if you're if you a positive person. How'd you do with the horses? Uh, not great. Not great. Not great. Nice day out. Nice day out. I, I mean, I have the- I saw the gym blossoms at Parks. Did you? Yeah. Were they at the racetrack? A couple weeks ago. Or at no, the not the casino. racetrack. It's not like they were walking around betting on horses. I saw them perform. <laughs> I saw that would be fantastic. I saw The gym perform. blossoms were like, come on, number four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I saw uh, they did it. It's like the 15th time I've seen them, and uh, they played at the uh, Parks Casino. It was about a month ago. I've never seen a show there. And, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's a brand new venue that, well, I mean, they just, it just opened, I guess, about a year ago. And... Um, it was funny because I I had gone in and I didn't realize I had I had like meet and greet I'd bought meet and greet without realizing it. Oh really? So I got there and they're like, oh, you got to get in this line, and I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> and all of a sudden we're being like, you know, ushered into the backstage area. And That's cool. Meeting Robin Wilson and Jesse Valenzuela, Scott Johnson, you guys, Lean. You guys play the slots after that. No, you know, I, I used to play blackjack all the time. I used to live in Glassboro, and it was so close to Atlantic City. You see, I, I'm not a gambler. Yeah, I, I'm kind of retired. It's yeah. Fu- it's fun as heck, though. I love blackjack. I'm not a big gambler. But there used to be $3 tables, so you could play you all could, night. Yeah, that's the key. I can't like throw money. Yeah. Um, yeah, my friends are more gamblers than me. I, I like the I – like Steve the, hates this conversation. He's like – I know. Losers. I know. I'm, I'm a loser gambler. I like, to, I like to walk home with some money in my pocket. The first time I ever played blackjack, uh, I went down. I went down. To, I, I was living in Glassboro. I went down. They had bus trips where they would give you like thirty dollars in quarters. Were you on the? Were you on a bus with like I was on like a, twenty eighty five year old women? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and um, but it was a great deal because you get you get all these quarters, so you go over there. They would you, pinch your cheeks. You cash Come them on, in. Ruben. You cash them in. We're gonna go with him and, play uh, the slots in Atlantic City. <laughs> and um, my uh, my very first hand. Come and take a walk on the boardwalk with me, Ruben. That doesn't even sound remotely like an old older woman. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Anyway, so I would, um, I, um, I actually went down with uh, Lori Facharosa, who I worked with at the Gloucester County Times, and whose daughter is now a movie star. She's really? in the new um, uh, J Lo movie. She just got cast in. She's in Orange Is the cool. New Black and all, and uh, and um, Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, my very first hand of blackjack of my life, um, I I split the hand, and then I doubled down on both hands, and I won them all. That's a ballsy so, move so for like, your first. I practiced. Like, there was a website where you could just press. So I practiced for hour after hour. I'd learned all the, you know, what to do, the best way to handle every possible hand. So after 30 seconds, I was up like $80. I'm thinking, I got this. I'm so good at this. Didn't end well. Yeah, but I was, you know, well- 
that's why you take the bus down because you don't have to worry <laughs> about toll money and gas money because I didn't have any yeah. by the time I left there. And I learned never bring your debit card to the casino. Yeah, that's a good move. Yeah, never yeah. bring your debit card. It, bring whatever you're prepared to lose in cash. And I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, and that's why there's so much more traffic on 322 heading back up <laughs> no than tolls. the expressway. No tolls. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's, always, there's always that big traffic jam on the uh, Black Horse Pike. Anyway. All right, let's move on to defense now. And when we start on defense, Ruben, let's start with let's let's start with the defensive line. That's yeah, like that's like the worst old lady <laughs> voice I've ever heard. All right, all right, let's go to defense. Uh, all right, start with defensive line. Is yes, that cool? Yes, please. All right, well, let's go. Let's look at the ends. Uh, to compose myself. Here. Yeah, sorry. Uh, they're gonna have Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett starting. We agree on that. Yes. Uh, Vinny Curry is definitely back. Josh Sweat is definitely back. Chris Long, we'll see. We don't know yet. I think I think he he's gonna see what they do in the draft. I'm starting to think he's not gonna be back. Yeah. I don't know. I I really don't know which way he's leaning. Uh, I think it's pretty clear if he comes back, he's gonna be an Eagle. He doesn't want to play anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they'd like to have him back. I'm sure. The longer he goes without committing to anything, I, I just wonder if his heart's still in it. Yeah, I mean, he had a what, really nice career. Yeah, and it's something he's got to ask himself too. I mean, because it's one thing to play in games on Sunday, but we're talking about a lot of work for months and months and months. Uh, and if you're not really in love with it anymore, it's it's hard to make yourself do it. Uh, he has had a really nice career. Uh, probably not the career people anticipated for him, but still a really good career for a first round pick. Well, he's 14 sacks behind his dad. Dad had 84. He's got He'd have 70. to play at least two more years. Yeah, and that'd be close. What do you have last year? Seven and a half? Six and a half, maybe? Six and a half, seven and a half. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to be playing a ton. I, I just don't know if he's going to want to come back and be the fourth defensive end. That's the thing. I mean, if they draft someone in the first few rounds, he would be four. If yeah. they don't, then maybe he'd still be three and he'd play in some passing downs. The other problem here is Malik Jackson, who they brought in, can play on third down. So, you know, in previous years, they've taken out that other defensive tackle next to Fletcher, and they'll put Vinny or Brandon Graham there, uh, Michael Bennett there last year, and then another defensive end is on the field for third down. But now if you leave Malik Jackson on the field, there are fewer snaps for that third defensive end on third downs. And yeah, I think that's, that's significant, especially in the role he's had recently. Well, let's talk about those interior linemen. Uh, they, they, I, I really like their starters in – um, you know, in Fletcher and Malik. Uh, after that, there's Hector and Hester. And, yeah. and Trayvon Hester, I think, would be a better fourth option than a third. Right now he's third. Uh, I, I really think defensive tackle is probably number one most likely in my mind for the first round. That's fair. I think there are going to be players there who are available. Maybe, even, maybe you have to have a modest trade-up for a guy like, I don't know, Christian Wilkins or maybe Ed Oliver Slips, which seems – Less likely at this point, but Jerry Tillery will probably be there. That'd be a, a solid pick. Um, if you like the other Clemson defensive tackle, Dexter Lawrence, good chance he'll be there. And, uh, and you know, having three defensive tackles is so big. And uh, nothing against Trayvon Hester, who, ha you know, he did okay. I mean, he had some good snaps Gave last year. Gave him a little but, something. But he's not going to be – I don't think he really projects by anybody to be a real force in there. And they're going to want to – you, you got to be careful with Fletcher's reps. You know, I think anytime, uh, especially now, he's coming off an off-season surgery. Coming off a surgery, uh, he's going into what year was he drafted in? In uh, twelve, twelve, right? yeah, two thousand twelve. So he's going into his eighth year. Yeah, he's not a young pup anymore. Yeah, so I, I think that I think it's I think it's crucial that they somewhere in in the first couple of days they get a D tackle. I think that's going to be. Um, that's going to be big, and I should I should tell everybody before we go to linebackers that we will be doing our mock drafts, our full first round mock drafts, the Monday of uh, before the draft. Yeah, we'll do those. We'll Knock we'll devote out. the whole podcast to our mock drafts, and uh, I'm going to pay Dave a lot of money to do mine for me because <laughs> he's way more into this than me. Uh, but let's go to linebackers. Uh, I that's probably the position I get asked about the most. Yeah, um, I'm I'm about there too. I think, which is interesting because they don't play a lot of three linebackers. You know, twenty maybe twenty two, twenty two percent. And Bradham 
is kind of the the known quantity. Kemu, I thought played better than I expected. I thought he played pretty well. Played pretty well. Given a chance, uh, they did lose Jordan Hicks. Obviously, he took the deal in Arizona. They, and they've got some they've got some bodies. Warlow, Fort, uh, your guy Bello. You love <laughs> Nate, Nate Gary. Nate Gary is the only. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you will. The only linebacker on the roster that they actually drafted, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's right. They yeah, seem linebacker to them seems to be that you know like running back one of those positions where they feel like they can just kind of cobble yeah. the position together. Yeah, you're right because they they signed Nigel as a free agent. Um, Camus was a waiver claim right. from New England. Yeah, as a rookie. As a rookie, yeah. yeah. yeah he was drafted though. He was drafted in the sixth round, but yeah. New England didn't keep him. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. So it it would kind of go against recent history for them to draft one. Hicks was a three. And played pretty well for when he was healthy. Yeah. I wonder how he'll do. Do you think he's a guy who is always going to be hurt? Do you think he'll find a way to stay healthy? Like Smallwood, I see Smallwood in, you know, I see Hicks in the same position Smallwood was where, I mean, Hicks is a better player than Smallwood, but Smallwood was in a position where his career was going to be over if he couldn't find a way to stay healthy, and he did. And he'll be in the league. I don't think he'll be here, but he'll be somewhere. Uh, Can Hicks Hicks find a way to stay healthy? I don't know. Based on what we've seen, no. I mean, yeah. If I if I have to, He's always hurt. If I had to put money on it, I'd say no because it, look at the history. This is a guy got hurt getting out of the pool on his honeymoon. That could happen to anybody. But it happened to him. Yeah, it did. And there's a lot of things that happened to him. I, he's a pretty good player when he's on the field. But he's a real good player. The Eagles, I just felt like they they didn't want to pay him that money because they couldn't rely on him. No, I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. Um, they'll miss him though. I think the, next yeah. year. Yeah, but they won't miss not knowing if he's going to play everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's let's look. Let's go secondary, uh, and this is the position that whenever we talk about, you know, whenever we try to project anything, it's just kind of a jumbled mess because it's it's hard to really kind of get a feel for exactly what they have and and what they need. Yeah. So let's go with uh, the corners first, um, and we'll list the guys who are corners right now. I know there's a lot of people who want to move corners, but for now they haven't moved anyone. These guys are still. Cornerbacks. They have Ronald Darby, who they re-signed. They have Jalen Mills, um, who's coming off a, a surgery just like Ronald Darby is. Going to the final year of his rookie four-year deal. Uh-huh. Then you have Rasul Douglas, entering year three now. Yep. Uh, has been good in spurts. Hasn't really been... Finished strong. Has finished strong. Hasn't really been given that opportunity to just have a job. Avante Maddox, a fourth-round pick last year, who played pretty well as a rookie, came back to earth in the playoffs. He did. Um, then you have uh, Craven LeBlanc, who took over in that nickel corner role last year, played really well. And then to me, the biggest X factor of them all, Sidney Jones, who um, basically had his rookie season last year, ups and downs. I thought he started off actually a lot better than people are giving him credit for, then got hurt, couldn't stay healthy. The hamstring bothered him for a lot of the year. Uh, but this is a guy who was a first-round talent not that long ago, a second-round pick two years ago. And, and it's so interesting to me because that's five guys you just mentioned who all, you know, they all have positives and they all have negatives. Yeah. There, there's none of those five guys. Well, there's six of them I mentioned. Yeah, yeah six. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I find it hard to believe they're going to draft one yeah. early because. But the, by the same token, none of those guys you mentioned is a slam dunk to – that's true. You know, be healthy, be productive. But unlike at linebacker, they drafted a lot of these guys. You know, they they drafted Sidney Jones. They drafted Russell Douglas. They drafted Avante Maddox. They drafted Jalen Mills. Um, and they have all this young talent, and I don't know if they know exactly how it's going to squirt itself out, but I, I kind of think that's what they're going to do. They're going to say, we can find our starters out of this group, and if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll insert somebody else. Yeah, I, I hope they don't trade Rasul. He'd be the one that makes the most sense to trade. Yeah. He'd pro- he's probably the only one. I mean, I'm sure they could trade Avante. That's not going to happen. Uh, I I think he's the only one that is tradable. Yeah, and it o- it's always seemed like they haven't – not that they haven't liked him, but that it's always been harder for him to find the field than I other guys. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've been really – they've always – Maintain that he's not a safety, while a lot of fans think he looks like a safety. Uh, gosh, the, I mean, they were down the no safeties last year, and I still didn't play him there. Um, 
Yeah, he's he's the one that I think you look at and think it would make some sense for him to trade him. I don't think they should. I like Rasul Douglas. Yeah, me too. I so think, you don't I think, think there's any be... chance they go corner in the first three rounds? Because I do. Just because there's it so many ha- questions about all these other guys. It would have to be extraordinary value. I'm talking about a guy that you're like, there's no way in the world he should be here. We have to take him. We have no choice. Yeah. He's just that much more talented. But if 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 they're pretty similar, say you have cornerback one and defensive tackle one, I'm just calling them that, and they're pretty similar, I'm taking the defensive tackle. You have to. You know? So – it would have to be extraordinary value in my mind for them to take a corner and that, that leaves, early, and that leaves safety, which is I think another possible early round selection. They have Malcolm Jenkins uh, back for another year, Rodney McLeod back for another year, coming off an ACL tear, uh, but it happened pretty early, so I'm under the assumption he's going to be ready for Week One. Uh, after that, uh, Corey Graham is gone, Andrew Sendejo's in, a 31 year old veteran, and uh, Trey Sullivan, who played better at the end of the last year, he yes, became he a decent part of that rotation. He did, and uh, I believe uh, Deontay Hall is he still here? He is, yeah, DeAndre Hall. DeAndre Hall. Um, it's kind of telling that you just mispr- said <laughs> his name. Butchered his name. Uh, he, he, I mean, he didn't figure in on safety, it, it figure in at safety at all last year. Yeah, and they didn't have any safety, so it kind of tells you what the defense right. thinks of him. He's kind of a special teams guy. It's funny because there's so many guys in that secondary who we we just don't really know what they think of uh, of Trey Sullivan. Did he play because they liked him? Did he play because they were desperate? Uh, you can say that about Cravon LeBlanc. You can say that about Rasul. We just don't know. I, and I think training camp to me, so much of training camp is going to be sorting out the secondary. Yeah, I'm, and we won't know until training camp because at OTAs, so many of these guys are coming off an injury that we're not Darby even going to— Darby won't participate. Jalen won't participate. We're not even going to get a great sense of Rodney the depth chart. Rodney probably won't participate. I, I can't imagine he will. So there's not even a good—like, we, maybe we can see what the end of the depth chart looks like, but we don't know what what overall it's going to look like. So probably your starting corners at OTAs will probably be, I mean, between Sydney, Rasul— And Cravon. And Cravon. probably be Sydney, Rasul, and, yeah, and Avante. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. We'll see a little bit, And they'll, they'll split up reps, though. They will. So we won't really. They'll see, first, you know, one day this guy will have first-team reps. One day yeah. this guy will. So it'll be hard to tell. Yeah, it will. Uh, but I think the bottom line when you look at the roster is that they're in, they're in a good position. They, they aren't beholden to any one position, and that's what you want to be. That's where you want to be. I guess you... we're just going to ignore the specialists. Yeah, they, we're not they're gonna... not even players in your world. We're not ignoring them. We're, we're not ignoring them. They're just not going to draft a, a holder in the second round. I'd go punter in the second round. I know you would. You, you Why gotta, do you say that in your old lady voice? Yeah. I'd go punter in back, the second back round. Back in my day. <laughs> I, I think you got to lose the falsetto. You just, you just go like, I think they're going to take a punter in the second round. That's not bad. That's pretty good. It's not much of a stretch. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I think, they're, I think they're in a strong position going to the draft where they there's just – Oh, they they can legit go best available with the first round pick and and the two second round picks. And if it's a punter, it's not so be stop it. Stop it with the punter. Remember, was that Oakland a bunch of years ago? They drafted uh, Jankowski and Leckler really early. Yeah, well, Leckler, Leckler's pretty darn good. Yeah, he just retired. He's, he should be a Hall of Famer. He should be. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen. This is where we ask everybody to please rate the podcast wherever you go to download podcasts. We really appreciate appreciate your feedback. Please your rate the, Shut up. Please rate the podcast. Turn this mic off, please. Thanks for listening. We'll see Ruben you guys in just a couple days. Podcast.